You are listening to the In Her Flow podcast with Gina and Serena. We created this podcast to help you nurture and connect to your flow, whilst also reducing the stigma and shame surrounding periods. Each week, we will share episodes that explore conversations with female health practitioners, industry expanders, and everyday women. We are so grateful that you're tuning in to today's episode. So today we're very excited to be chatting to Jo Lincoln, a certified holistic wellness coach specializing in endometriosis. And she's been working in wellness education and the coaching industry for over 10 years. And having endometriosis herself, she's had a strong passion for providing the education and support that a lot of women aren't actually adequately met with. So welcome to In Her Flow, Jo. Thank you so much, guys. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, So what we usually ask our first guests to begin with is um, how do you feel about, how did you feel about your first bleed Mm. compared to now? And we kind of do this to kind of reduce the stigma and shame surrounding menstruation to kind of just normalise um, talking about periods. So if you feel comfortable to share, we'd love That's a great question. Um, I remember my first lead really clearly. I was quite proud. I was waiting for it. Um, Love that. Yeah, I had a, my my mum was great. Like, in, she bought me a book, and I'd had friends who were had already got their period. So I was like, oh, when's mine gonna come? <laughs> but it's yeah, always we're that. in a really awkward situation, though, because I wasn't at home. I was out with friends oh, no. <laughs> and their parents <laughs> and I was in a dark public loo. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> was oh. Out of the norm. But, um, yeah, I guess my bleeds now are met with a totally different frame of mind because of my endometriosis. So um, I probably felt a lot more excited about it when I was a girl, especially my first lead yeah. than now and, and how I approach it a bit now, which is it's something I need to keep working on too. Yeah, how interesting. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure with something like endometriosis, um, what we'll hear, hear more about, it's, yeah, not not easy to start liking your period. So It's a tough one, yeah, yeah that's so true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and I, I guess before we dive in, um, tell us a little bit about how you became a wellness coach and then how it developed towards specialising in endometriosis support. Yeah, sure. Um, well, my early interest in wellness, I guess, well, I guess for sure, I would attribute to my grandmother, actually. Um, her name was Ina. Um, and she, yeah, she was a lovely lady. She was a pioneer, I would say, in her day for natural health. Um, my grandfather mm. was too, actually. But my grandmother, she was very unique. And she opened her health food store in her town when she was 62. And she worked there wow. until she was 75. Yeah, so she had this sort of late Amazing. career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I remember going there as a kid and I would I would wander up and down the aisles and I'd look at all the products. And, you know, as kids, we always had natural remedies on hand when I was a kid too. So like we had cell salts and arnica and balms for yeah. scratches and things mm-hmm. like that. And they worked. Yeah. Like, and so as a girl, I had this kind of awareness. And I would say I had a confidence for natural remedies. 
and my grandmother's yeah. influence just really trickled down to many of us in my family. So I'm really, really thankful for her example and her inspiration in that. But then mm. fast forward a few years <laughs> and I was diagnosed with endo when I was 22. That was, would have yeah, been about was, four years after yeah. struggling yeah, with the pain. And at that time, there really just wasn't much information around the condition. Um, the mm. doctors were unsure about what caused it. And they only really had a theory at that stage. And this is what the gynecologist told me when I went in for my appointment, <laughs> is that they think wow. that it's due to the blood flowing back through the fallopian tubes and out into your pelvic cavity. Um, but wow. they still said, but we're not sure, you know. And mm. so we know now that that's not the case, pretty much. That theory is, mm. I mean, they know now that most women have retrograde menstruation. Um, so it's not really a strong theory anymore. But <laughs> this is sort of like a very unknown. Uh, the disease in and of itself was a mystery. And um, mm. so his recommendations, the gynecologist's recommendations for me at that stage, <laughs> at 22, were to fall pregnant. Mm. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> to go up. that okay. was the first recommendation. I was just like, oh, very out there, crazy yeah. recommendation. Don't get knocked up, and this is not, what? I'm not alone in this. A lot of women with endo have been told, oh, just fall pregnant, which in and of itself no. is, is really quite a cruel thing to say because you know, fertility is something that women with endo really struggle with. Um, yeah. but at 22, it's an insane thing to say, I would say. Um, so that was one of the recommendations. The next recommendation was to go in for surgery for the, I had an endometrioma yes. cyst on my ovary from what they could see. Um, and wow. the other recommendation was just to continue taking the painkillers that I was taking to cope with the pain. <laughs> so oh, I was wow. so like, I, I didn't want to obviously get pregnant. <laughs> no, 22. No. Wow. Oh, early. We oh, also need a partner for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also just I did at the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't at that stage. Um, it's also oh, just wow. not a very, like, it's not a very helpful answer that you want to hear from a medical professional right. just being told to get pregnant. Right. Yeah. So I guess, like, in getting pregnant, does that ease the symptoms or why is it a well, recommendation? To be honest, um, the that's basically one of the myths that they've now debunked about endometriosis in that the, the falling mm. of pregnant tends to put it on hold but they realize now that you know just as heavy and as ferocious yeah. as before afterwards so they used to think that maybe it it, it solved it but it doesn't so mm. even with it's my, my diagnosis, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. it was just so much still that was unknown, you know. So, mm. so I decided to struggle on for another four years coping with the pain. Mm. So I, I mean, I was pretty fit and healthy at 22. I still, I still am. Mm. <laughs> I hope that. Still yeah. got it. <laughs> still kicking butt, but no, but I, at 22, I'd never, <laughs> I'd never had an operation in my life. Um, I'd never broken a bone in my body you know I was to have an operation mm. was like oh my god an operation no way you know deal. really yeah. and also deal. Such, a, such a sensitive area of your body exactly. it's not like it's not like your yeah. arm or your foot it's that's like exactly your right. space so that's invasive exactly right. and that's so 
true. And they say that any woman going in for the surgery for endometriosis, the investigative laparoscopy, Mm. although like, well, this might come up later on, but, you know, some women have had crazy amounts of these surgeries, but every time you go in for a surgery, you're right. You're operating on your reproductive organs and it's really Mm. sensitive. Um, yeah and it's a real invasion for the body and a lot for the body to cope with so yeah so I I kind of just struggled on um but finally the pain (laughs) (laughs) the pain just got too much in the end though it really Mm. is just unbearable so um after four years I did go in for surgery and um I had my post-op follow-up with the surgeon and I'm there going, so what can I do going forward? And he's like, really nothing. You know, if the pain comes back, you'll just have to come in for another surgery. And I'm like, what? (laughs) How is this? How is this the case? Like, um, so I was just really diagnosed at a time when there really weren't any answers and there wasn't a community Mm. that I was aware of either. So I felt very much on my own. And I know this is like a really common story for those of us who have endo. Um, like women have this, this is a very, like you hear the same story over and over again. Like, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. nobody knew anything. I didn't know what to do. There were no answers, that kind of thing. But I had this sense that there was something I could do that was more, I guess, probably from my my growing up from my health back the the natural health background that I had I just had this kind of inner knowing that this could Mm. not be all there was and there had to be answers out there and so that's when I really started to become fascinated with natural therapies for endo and I started trying them for myself and what I really noticed was that there were immediate results and they were amazing Um, wow yeah so that really won me over like it was fantastic um and during all all, you go sorry oh sorry it's yeah it's it's crazy to hear though that like a doc you know you go and you see a a medical professional who you think is going to give you help and like you think there's a lot of research and stuff out there and then for them to tell you that the only kind of help they can give you is like painkillers or Mm. getting pregnant and then you as I guess just like another another person who doesn't necessarily have like a medical background to go and find these natural therapies and then to see all these amazing results mm. it's like why why do medical professionals not know this I know mm. it, it just seems so insane and and to be to be honest that's still the case I would say in the majority of cases women are not offered like other types of therapies or even they're not even talked about um it's mm. basically just what women would be recommended now would be the surgery um Mm. pain Mm. pain painkillers and then the third thing would be um birth control medication and that in and of itself is really not useful for endo it doesn't actually so many women just comment on that when I go into the forums it's like Lupron doesn't do anything it just made things worse you know, so there's this, yeah, there's just, uh, I I really, my heart goes out to women with endo because there just doesn't seem to be, that as it, after your diagnosis, there doesn't really seem to be much 
on offer for you to, you know, because mm-hmm. endo is not, it's not a disease that that you kind of fix and it's done and it's over with. It's a lifetime disease, you know, and so you, you have to manage it. Um, and, you know, women are managing it by having 13 surgeries, which is just, I find, I think it's criminal. I think it's criminal that they have to go in for that many surgeries. And I know I'm not the only, I mean, there are amazing doctors out there that say the same thing, you know, but I think it's just, we're very slow in getting to finding answers and there's not been a lot of research done in the past. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's just unsustainable to have that many surgeries and just continue to go through the same process if it's not um, providing those, you know, long term results that's exactly right and every time you have surgery it's leaving behind more scar tissue which then is the beginning of a formation of another endometriosis lesion in your body so that yeah so I guess for me it was just like right you know I would find myself at parties talking to women about endometriosis and I kind of got to this point because I was you know I was working in I was a qualified teacher teaching in health and communications and then I was working in a university as a wellness advisor and I was doing more studies along the way and I began coaching and I just felt like that this was where I had to speak I had to speak into this space I had to work my work was for this space um, because I just carried such a heart for it and it was just my passion Mm -hmm. I just didn't want other women to have to go through a lifetime of no answers and a lifetime of of um, feeling helpless and not I think the big thing is not having control over your own health that feeling of being out of control is horrible yeah I think it's also a big thing for women and I know like I felt like this as well when I was going through like PCOS stuff is Mm. you can almost feel like you don't trust your own body yeah and you kind of lose that connection with your own body which is I mean as a woman being connected to your body in your womb space is so huge yeah and I know for me personally I have to do so much work around like Mm. trusting my body Mm. again like trusting that I had my back Mm -hmm. yeah that is that massive yeah it's and it's mm. such important work too because you want to be on the side of your body you know you want to know that you've got each other's back <laughs> yeah. um, and you want to work together yeah. and you want to um, I think I often see on forums and posts with women with endo just this I hate my body my body's attacking me there's a lot of this kind of language mm-hmm. and I think we really have to be so loving towards our bodies and often what I do mm-hmm. say to women is you know your body is on your side it's trying to communicate with you. It's trying to tell you what's wrong so that you can go and, and fix it, you know. And, and Absolutely. Yeah, so that, that's really important work. Mm, yeah, that's such an important point, I think, just to take it as, like, signs and, like, mm. little tricks and tips that your body is trying to send you to yeah. make, yeah, create awareness around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I guess just to go back one step, um, can you just tell us a little bit more about what endo- endometriosis actually is? Yes, yes. So, yes, because there's so yeah. many people don't know. This is a, it's such mm. a pro- prolific disease, as we'll talk about soon, I think. But it's, um, so many people don't know about it um, or what it is. They might have heard of it, but don't really know what it is. 
Um, so it's yeah. a condition where yeah, it's a condition where bits of your body tissue that are similar to your uterine lining, so the endometrium, it's when they grow in places outside your uterus. So it's similar tissue. And because mm-hmm. it's out of place, this tissue, okay, so, um, but they behave in exactly the same way as the tissue in your uterine lining. So it will thicken and bleed every month, but the wow. blood can't escape. And so over time, this oh, monthly wow. monthly shedding, it causes the formation of scar tissue, cysts, adhesions around the endometriosis lesion. Um, oh. And what this does is then it triggers or causes an immune response in the body to come and attack it. Okay, so and this leads wow. to chronic, mm-hmm. chronic inflammation, um, and I would say acute inflammation as well in the system. And what what mm-hmm. these adhesions, these adhesions, these lesions, they're quite sticky, and they became can become like a web in a way. Probably a really good way to explain it. Oh gosh, and, yeah, yeah they, they, this is when it can get sort of more prolific, and they can stick your pelvic organs to each other. And they can cause like twists wow. and blockages. So in your fallopian tube or a blockage, you know, obviously of your of your ovary. So um, yeah, so wow. so what I would say though is that one one thing or two things really to, to be aware of of endo is that it's fundamentally an inflammatory disease. Um, yeah been a lot of misconception people primarily saying it's a hormone condition which is not the case I mean hormones come into play but it's fundamentally an inflammatory disease and the hormones come into play in that the growth of the lesions are strongly stimulated by estrogen Um, so that's where the estrogen comes into it and if you've got excess estrogen in your body it's not going to do you any favors but even the normal healthy production of estrogen is still going to affect endometriosis. So, yeah. you know, we need that estrogen. We want that mm. estrogen. So what we really need to work on is the inflammation. And, um, yeah. you know, it, it's an immune dysfunction as well. So they're, they're sort of they're categorising it in the same in the same category as an autoimmune condition so they, they're basically yeah, saying endometriosis displays a lot of the same characteristics as an autoimmune disease but they're still very oh, wow. they're still hesitating in putting it in there I think <laughs> so we just we yeah. just say that it's uh that it that it's a uh, immune dysfunction yeah want to sound, make it sound a little bit nicer <laughs> yeah. don't freak anyone out yet <laughs> yeah we're 100 sure yeah wow that's pretty intense yeah and um we know it can like vary in severity like mm. pretty much anything else so um do you can you tell us a little bit, bit about the different stages yeah yeah the, the stages are um they're interesting because then they have been developed by the surgeons from mm, so from much. really they were they surgeons started classifying the stages of endo in, they basically put them into four stages um, from what they saw when they were performing the investigative laparoscopies 
Um, right. And so it's really important to know that they're, they're assigning points to what they see when they perform the surgery. So, for example, mm. um, a score of 15 or less meant that the, that the disease was in stage one um, or two. So stage one was like minimal lesions. There were not many and they were quite shallow. And then stage mm. two was mild and that's, there's a few more lesions and they're slightly deeper. Um, and then from 16 to 40 points <laughs> means that the disease is stage three. So that would be classed as moderate. You would have to have an endometrioma, like a chocolate fist. They, I'll just. Oh, that's it. and that's that's so the medium. one. <laughs> Jesus, wow. pretty interesting names. The chocolate fist indicates that it's a fist that's filled with old mm. blood. So you can imagine that. Yep. Yeah. So that you'd have to have the, the cyst on your ovaries or ovaries, and there would maybe be some binding scar tissue. And then right. 40 mm. points, <laughs> that would put the disease at stage four, so severe. So deep implants, adhesions, at least one cyst on an ovary, yeah. So quite a lot of, of um, visible endometriosis. But there is a real hesitation to classify endo in this way, and I do hesitate to classify it as well in this way because, mm. you know, you might have a woman who had stage one endo, but that doesn't mean her pain is minimal and yeah. the effect, or the effect on her life has been minimal. And likewise, you can have someone who's stage four and they have zero pain. So it's the most mysterious right. disease. Yeah. It's, mm. So really we want to be looking at how is it affecting you? What are your symptoms? Um, yeah. As well as obviously how much endo is actually in the system. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I guess in terms of system, I mean, symptoms, um, like how can women identify if they might mm. have endo kind of symptoms yeah. associated with? Yeah. Endo? Well, <laughs> It's yeah, it's a hot, it's a hot, I have to say this, it's a horrible disease. Um, it's I, it's cruel. I would actually use the word cruel. <laughs> and I've oh seen no. so many other women, and I've heard men say this too when they really get a, a, a grapple on what it actually is, is. It just seems to have this cruel nature to it because the symptoms are really intense. They're layered yeah. and they're really limiting as well. They're really life-altering. Um, and I think what I would say is they stop you from being you, like they actually inhibit you from being the person that you are and expressing your personality, you know, because mm. it covers like physical, emotional, psychological, um, can limit you from having a full-time job, from a social life, from a sex life. And as we just wow. discussed before, it can stop you from having a healthy relationship with your body and yourself. So your mental yeah. health is really affected. And I think a big reason for this is like the chronic nature of the condition because it's ongoing. Yeah. It just, it's on, it, it doesn't, it's not here for a short time, you know, it's, it's mm. here forever. And it's, as we said before, you've got to manage it. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess the main symptom, if people were unsure about whether or not they had endo, pelvic pain, that's the most common symptom that women present with and it and it can be severe so um 
and how would in terms of like pelvic pain how would you discern say like i don't know people who get like pms and like period cramps from their intense like pelvic pain yeah i would say if it stops you from doing anything if it limits you from going to work or going out with your friends or it places you in a situation of discomfort where you feel like I can't go on with my day I have to lie down on the couch Mm -hmm. I would then start to say oh you know that's you should still be able to live your normal life with period pain sure you can have you know it it, you know it it, nor I shouldn't say normal I want to use the word what should be (laughs) what should be normal (laughs) um is you know a little bit of aching and and soreness maybe but it shouldn't stop you from living your life and um I think that's when you if you have to sort of lie down or or have an intervention with um painkillers so yeah I would say that have to think twice if your if your period pain is like that um if it if it's if it's starting to get searing pulsating dabbing and then of course is the worst one is I think this bearing down it's like a labor like pain that can can that's so aggressive (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like hugging my belly oh, right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's always yeah. really nasty. It's, it, oh. it really is. But I mean, this pelvic, it's not just in the pelvic pain. Uh, sorry, in the pelvis. Um, it can be pain other places as well, like lower back, in your rectum, in your bladder, in your legs. Um, and although it commonly occurs during your period time, it can occur at any time in your cycle. I was talking to um, oh, a girl the other day who I was on in an appointment with and she was telling me she has her pain every day. So, wow. yeah, I'd to the women wow. and people with endo who have to struggle with it every day because it's really... Yeah yeah debilitating it is yeah um Mm. I guess others other symptoms would be long heavy crampy clotty menstrual flow as well yeah shouldn't be getting clots that are bigger than like oh I'm just holding my uh, probably like uh anything above a five Australian five cent piece yeah, I would yeah. I would start to think mm, that's not great um and just those heavy periods as well like flooding um yeah, wow. that's a little bit concerning as well nausea yeah. with with headaches like with your um with your cycle and vomiting um and then any kind of bowel GI tract sort of discomfort that's a very common mm. site in fact there's lots of research going into that right now um, mm. there's a very strong correlation between digestive issues and endo and there's 
super, super interesting things coming out about that now. So one of the ways that we're starting to realise to treat endo is via the gut. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And how when the gut is not working well, what's happening is there's this transference through the intestinal wall into the cavity so like leaky gut basically and then it becomes mm. this, there's more toxins again in your system um in yeah. the pelvic cavity and then of course we've got that whole immune response again so yeah that's really interesting but awful <laughs> yeah. so you, there's a lot of like you know women who have endo might have either constipation or um have very loose like um toilet <laughs> toileting <laughs> yeah yeah um definitely at least there's more research going into it yeah though, so hopefully, De- definitely you know, women feel like they've got a lot more I mean there's people like you in the world which are great but yeah just that women feel supported yeah mm. oh for sure because I think I think with endo it's like there's you've got sort of some primary I guess uh, I better just mention another primary kind of um symptom would be um infertility that's a massive one a lot mm. of women don't actually know they have endo until they can't have a baby or they're struggling I should mm. say they're struggling to have a baby um and then they go and they can finally get checked and they've, they've found that they've got endo so they might be the women that don't have the pain but their symptom is infertility so um mm, so that's that's one. also another yeah. one and recurrent miscarriage as well but um it can also be like pain or bleeding during sex that's quite common the pain particularly mm. um and bleeding between periods um and another thing I would just say is like a low-grade fever. And like because it's an oh, immune God. dysfunction, our immunes mm. are constantly trying to battle this disease and then it's not leaving reserves for anything else. And so um, there's that. I think <laughs> it took me ages, actually, even in my own life with endo, it's just, I always mm. used to feel like, why am I feeling like I'm fighting something. <laughs> I used to say that to my partner <laughs> all the time. Why do I feel like this? And then one day it's like, <laughs> Yeah, it's but, like um, extra sweating happening every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, and then okay, the other thing is the abdominal bloating. So loads of, you may have, I don't know if you've heard of it, but what they call the endo belly, which is a lot of women bloating. Mm. To the point where you do yeah. look like you are pregnant and people come up to you and say, oh, my gosh, you're going to have a baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> no woman wants to hear that. Unless no. Yeah, exactly. And they, they might want to be wow. pregnant too. This is the other, the cruel, coming back to the cruel twist mm. of the disease. But, um, yeah. yeah, but yeah. I do think, like, Endo's got these sort of primary symptoms and sort of secondary symptoms that come from the chronic mm. nature of the disease. So I would I have to mention depression and anxiety here because um, it could be a primary symptom, but I, it's also a secondary symptom in that because yeah. you're dealing with 
this ongoing <laughs> yeah pain the constant mm-hmm. pain constant um sort of life issues that come from it you know whether it's work or your social life or issues mm-hmm. with your partner or not being able to have sex properly or so many areas that it can affect um it yeah. does have that bearing down um on your mental health and so, absolutely yeah very understandable and I guess just wanting to um touch on what you said before um about the di- uh, the treatment mm. so you mentioned that um the contraception pill is part of a treatment plan mm. so would those uh, individuals who actually have endo would they have less symptoms if they were on the contraception pill? So might they actually not know because they're less severe Possib- until they get the pill? Possibly, yes. Um, it, the thing about endo is it's different for every single woman. Um, some women, the, the contraception pill might actually mask the symptoms, so yes it could Mm -hmm. but what it's doing basically is is just masking those symptoms um until and and see we a common issue is they'll come off the contraceptive pill because they want to fall pregnant and then all the symptoms come back with full force because basically you go back to the period you had when you first started going on the contraception pill and so Mm. um it, it's quite a cool time for those women because here they are wanting to start a family and they're having to deal with massive hit of symptoms and um, and not being able to, you know, start the process of having a child. So, yeah, yeah for some women, yes. I mean, but others, I've, and this is just purely through anecdotal evidence, for me at least, I haven't done the research on this, um, but I do know that so many women say it's doing nothing, it's not taking the edge off, it doesn't actually do anything for endo. Yeah, mm, just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Lara oh, Bryden, she's, um, she's a women's natural health expert. Oh, love She's her. amazing, isn't she? I just love, love her, her so much. <laughs> Yeah, her website is literally like a pot of gold. Yeah, yeah. And her colleague, Kate Powell, who's a naturopath here, and funnily enough, because I used to listen to her podcast as well, and then I realised she lives down the street from me. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, yeah, amazing. She's amazing too. Um, but, yeah, but what Lara says is that um, she would – she would encourage women more along the low-dose progestin drugs like Visam or levonorgestrel. That's in the marina because they're gentler on the female body and they're not suppressing estrogen or or ovulation because you need that. You need to have your ovulation. Um, And what that does instead, it works on suppressing the endolesion. But she would much mm. prefer to recommend natural progesterone capsules, which she thinks work just as just as well, if not better, she says. Mm. And she says with fewer side effects. 
So there is, this is just a really good example of getting off the, dare I say, the bandwagon (laughs) and looking at natural natural therapies Mm. because what your body is going to synthesize the natural progesterone and work with it so much better most of the time and without all the horrible side effects, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. Win-win situation. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely want to. Co- I want to come back to, I guess, the diet and lifestyle changes mm. that people can make. But in terms of the actual diagnosis of endometriosis, what does that what does that look like? Like, how is it diagnosed? Mm. Okay, so yeah, it there's really only one way to diagnose it diagnose it um and this is another sort of myth and and a sad myth well it's not a myth yeah the the myth is that you can be diagnosed through an mri or a blood test or some sort of um ultrasound um but that they they are myths like you cannot diagnose it other than having the surgery which is an investigative laparoscopy um yeah. and so that's unpleasant exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. a day surgery procedure um and you know they insert the viewing instrument the laparoscope through your navel and um, like a little incision near yeah. your navel and then they yeah. have a look they so they look around so what what Lisa's says one thing with the diagnosis is if they find endo during that investigative surgery, they can also um, get, take it out at that point as well. So you're doing two things at once. You're, you're diagnosing and they can remove it at the same time. But, um, yeah, it, it, it isn't ideal to continue having these these um operations but I feel like I really do feel like we're on the cusp of a new era now with endo what they're starting to realize (laughs) is that there's there's this there's this way of treat like of surgery with endo as well so what they call the gold standard for surgically treating it is in excision surgery so before like when I had my my sounds like excision yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it is <laughs> basically it means they cut it out um instead of what right. what would have happened before and when I had my surgeries was I they lasered it but what it's just taking the tip off, you see. And what they've realized now yeah. is the endo is in the tissue. So you've got to cut down into the tissue and cut it out, like you would with a biopsy on a, you know, a cancer spot. Yeah. You know, you don't just take the tip off it, you cut right around it. And that's what yeah. they're having to do with endo now. And I think you really need a trained endometriosis surgeon who's trained in this excision surgery. And I think what was happening before we, we, well, still happens, still happens, is that you've got the surgeon who may have just, and I actually was listening to this the other day, they may have just done 
you know, a C-section in the early hours of the morning and then they're scrubbing up to do a laparoscopy on an endo patient at 8 a.m. in the morning. You know, you can't, it needs this really focused attention um, yeah. and someone who's got, you know, really, really good skills um, in this particular area. So if I was a woman yeah. now going in for surgery, I would do my research. I would find out who was the best specialised in excision for endometriosis and then I would ask around and, yeah, I would really I would do a lot of research on that to make sure I got the best person because if you can get it done correctly, it's it, you may just have to get one surgery done right and that's what um mm. dr iris or bush i think i don't know if i'm saying her name correctly or bush she writes she writes the book beating endo anyway and she's yeah. on the on the documentary called endo what um but she says you know you just need one <laughs> surgery done right <laughs> Thank you for joining us in this week's episode on the In Her Flow podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review if you loved this podcast episode. Even better, share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from this information. Our mission is to normalise period talk and help women to tune in with their cyclical bodies. See you next week. week.